Amen. Good morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house with you fine folk. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. If you remember back in March, because I know everyone remembers what happened in March, uh, Galatians chapter 2, we were in a few verses from this chapter, but we'll start today in verse 1, and we'll go through the entire chapter. And it's interesting that the Lord would have us go through some of these verses again, and here's the truth. I really think it's because we didn't get it the first time. And I'm glad that the Lord is patient, and I'm glad that He uh, understands that we need repetition. And aren't you glad that when you ran from the Lord, He didn't stop pursuing you? Yeah? See, the problem is, Corey is up here singing about coming out of the grave, and many people, they're still in the grave. Or they've come out spiritually, they came to know the Lord, and then we, we daily go back into it and want to put all the cobwebs back on us and, act, uh, and, and hold on to that old life. And friend, you cannot do that. When the Lord sets you free, He sets you free to run, He sets you free to serve, He sets you free to, to be His hands and feet. Galatians chapter 2. Is that an echo or is that indigestion that I had or something? Walter is awake. Galatians chapter 2. If you're there, say word. Then after 14 years, how many years? 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. With who? Barnabas. Great guy, great name, great baby name for those of you that are searching for those, taking Titus along with me. There's another great name. I went up because of a revelation is set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had entrusted... Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and, and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Part of the reason we have this book is because Paul, he was defending his apostleship. Now, it was, it's very important for Paul to have to do that, which probably put him in a pretty precarious spot. But this was for the integrity of the gospel. This was for really, for Paul to maintain his apostleship. If he wouldn't have, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. Or maybe we would and God would use somebody else. I don't know that. But the reality is this was an unusual time because most times the Lord wants believers to not defend themselves, to let Him defend ourselves, to, to let the Lord fight for us. That's what 
Christians do. They don't insist on their own way. We don't insist on our own rights. We let the Lord fight for us. It goes against a lot of things in our culture, does it not? But Paul had to defend his apostleship because it's for the sake of the gospel, for the clarity, for the purity of the gospel. And here's the gospel this morning. Jesus saves. Jesus saves, and that's it. Isn't that good? That's good news. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to have everything in life figured out. The Lord saves you. Why? Because of His life, His death, and His resurrection. But the Lord sent Paul to this little council they had. They had a conference, so to speak, there in Jerusalem. And Paul went and checked in at the Holiday Inn in Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And he said, boys, whatever happens, keep your head down. And it's about to get, the creek is about to get deep. And so they go into this conference and they, basically it was this, this dilemma between the law and grace. And, and how do we reconcile this? How do we, if you're, if you're a believer, you're supposed to, to, to obey the law. But, but at the same time, to become a believer has nothing to do with obeying the law. It's simply receiving God's grace. And so it was this, there was this great dilemma. And the church today is still struggling with this issue, are we not? Some churches uh, preach and teach that you can attain salvation by going through certain rituals. Some churches today teach that you're joined to the church as a child through baptism. That you actually become a church member. Many churches today teach that we're saved by grace, but then we can live however we want to. You know, oh, it's all, it's all gravy. It's all grace, so I'm going to go live like a heathen because the Lord died for me on a cross. Well, that's not biblical either. And see, the Lord knew we'd get it wrong time after time after time. That's why He gave us the book of Galatians, and that's why He gave us the book of James. And that's why there's so much clarity about the gospel all through the New Testament. And so they have this conference. And what happens? What is the verdict? Well, you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Peter, after much time of prayer and debate, Peter stands up and he just preaches and and reminds people that it's all about God's grace. And so they extended the right, the Baptist or Methodist, whatever church you go to, right hand of fellowship. The right hand of fellowship. In other words, the disciples in Jerusalem encouraged Paul and Barnabas and Titus to continue their work to the Gentiles. Now this morning, if you are a non-Jewish person, okay, you're not a descendant, your ancestors, you not come from a Jewish uh, ancestry, then that would make you a Gentile. So it's a big deal that um, you can come to know Christ through Christ, through His grace. Question is, here's the application. Who have you encouraged today? So the disciples encouraged Paul and Barnabas and Titus and sent them back on their way. Encouraged them. Cheered them on. Who have you encouraged today? To give encouragement. We have to think less about ourselves. And we actually have to think about other people. And the type of encouragement we need to give. It shouldn't be what the way that you want to receive encouragement, but rather the way that would actually encourage them. Example, if you work in a close proximity to your co-workers and and maybe an office cube or something like that, um, like something that you would see on the office, although I don't really watch that show, but a lot of our people love it. 
Um, so don't they have cubicles on the office, those of you that watch the show? Come on, people. No, they don't. Oh, see? They have desk. Just open desk. Oh, even better for my illustration. Great. So let's say that you have just a lot of open desk, right? We watch Andy Griffith in my house. So let's say you have a, a lot of open desk. And maybe a way for you to encourage your, your coworker is to actually be quiet or, or to talk less. That may be very encouraging to them, right? You may say, well, I'm sure that they love to hear me talk because I love the Lord and I go to church and God's doing this in my life. Well, well, that's all good, but what's actually going to encourage a coworker? And it may be to listen to them. Maybe they don't have a church. Maybe they don't have anybody. Maybe they don't have any friends. I mean, sure, they run with people at night and do whatever, but do they really have friends that's going to be there for them? Maybe God put you there to encourage them. To remind them that when their life's falling apart, that the Lord loves them. He's got a plan for them. We should encourage the saints. We should encourage others to do well. We should encourage people to follow Christ. Tonight, we're going to have an awesome opportunity to encourage our students at our church. We're going to have a bake auction. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, those of you who've never been to a bake auction, you're in for a real treat. We're going to sit around. We're going to have a good time after our service. And then the greatest students on the planet are going to walk up before us holding the most awesome desserts you've ever laid your eyes upon. And we're going to be able to purchase a dessert in the name of Jesus. And that money's going to go to propel them to camp or to leadership conference or to something that's going to mean something for eternity in their life. So tonight... If you don't have a party to go to, if you don't have anywhere to be, you might want to think about coming. It'll be relaxed. It'll be fun. And if you just want to come see what happens, that's cool too. You don't have to buy anything. Barnabas, son of encouragement. His real name was Joseph. But he was given the name Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 because he was encouraging. The disciples named him son of encouragement. He had a special ability to see the best in people. To see what God sees. It was Barnabas that when Paul came to know the Lord, everybody was thinking, That's, that is Saul, that guy has a bad reputation. No way. And it was, it was Barnabas in Acts chapter 9 that says, well, it, verse, Acts chapter 9 verse 27 says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke, how the Lord spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. It was Barnabas that said, hey, maybe this guy's not, not insane. Maybe this guy's actually legit. We should listen to him. Barnabas was the only one that in that moment would forgive Paul. Now let's see what happens in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's a.k.a. Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas 
Verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's the problem? Well, the problem is that Peter was hanging out at these folks' house and, and he, for the longest time in the Old Testament, Old Mosaic Law, Jews could not eat at the dinner table with Gentiles. I know that seems really bizarre, but that's, that's part of the law that made the, the Jewish people distinct and different so that people would ask them about the hope that they had in their God. And so this church at Antioch was made up almost entirely of Gentile Christians. And they are sitting around. And they had just grilled some shrimp on the barbie with, wrapped in bacon. And Peter just cannot help himself. And then whenever these high roller preacher dudes rolled in from Jerusalem... What did Peter do? He pushed himself away from the table. Peter, I mean, the one that was bold, the one that would, would stand on top of a table in the, in the, on Main Street and preach the gospel, Peter began to back away. Back away from his brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you think that made them feel? How do you, it made them feel second, like second-class Christians. Do we do that sometimes? Do we ever do that to people that are believers? Maybe we don't realize it, but when certain people walk up, do we act different? Do we start talking a certain way and trying to sound religious? That doesn't please the Lord. And Paul called him out. Paul said, hey, your actions, this, this is not right. These actions are not in step with the gospel. You have the right belief, but you have the wrong behavior, which is hypocrisy. Man, that had to hurt Peter. But in the coming days, in the coming weeks, you know, Peter was probably thankful for Paul. Has someone told you something lately that you did not want to hear? Maybe they were right. Maybe the Lord used them to speak truth into your life. Barnabas, he was an idealist. He believed in people. And he believed in Peter so much that he lost his marbles. Like he, he had such an open mind about Peter that his brain fell out. And so it was Barnabas. There he was. Even Barnabas was led astray. He also pushed himself away from the table. Verse 15, We ourselves are Jews by birth and and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
Are you still trying to earn your way in your relationship with the Lord this morning? And then Paul gives one of the most epic verses in the, all of the Bible. This is Corey Carr's favorite verse, and I would argue it probably needs to be our favorite verse as well, or one of our favorites. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In order to become a believer, in order to live like a Christian, Paul said you have to give up your rights. You have to give it up. This is what being a Christian looks like. There was a man that had an ice cream parlor. He opened up four ice cream parlors. And he decided he would stake his success on American teenagers. He made them dress in a very specific uniform and taught them excellent manners. And he paid them really well. And one day, one of his teenage workers, teenage girl, she had the wrong shoes on. And the owner told her that she would have to go back home and get the right shoes. And he said he, he would pay her. She could still be on the clock. But for her to go home and he would see her at lunchtime. Well, she was blown away because she said, Sir, you don't understand. I live on the other side of town. That's a long way and we don't, you know, it, it's not going to work out. I can't do that. And he said, Okay, well, you can't work here anymore if that's the case. You see, she had a choice. The man was not making her get the right shoes. He was not forcing her to dress a certain way or to talk a certain way. But for her to keep the job, for her to have that job at the ice cream parlor. Then she had to relinquish her rights to wear whatever shoes she wanted. She had to relinquish her rights to dress how she wanted. You see, when you come to know the Lord, you have to relinquish all of your rights. When it comes to God, we are all in His ice cream parlor. He's invited us to walk with Him, serve Him, do life with Him, but we cannot go with Him if we're going to hold on to what is our rights. So many people today said, oh, I know the Lord. I've been going to such and such church for 35, 40, 50 years. And yet, their heart's far from the Lord. Oh, well, I've repented. Friend, repentance is agreeing with God about sin. Repentance is saying yes Sin is evil and it's against the Lord. You can't say you repent and still live like the world. It doesn't work out that way. Considering rights, Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Elizabeth Elliot was, was told many times, 
how does your husband, you know, before he passed away, how did he come up with all these amazing quotes? And she said, well, if you read your Bible, you know exactly where he got all those quotes from. The highest form of worship today is obedience. When Jesus said, take up your cross, He didn't mean go to church on Sundays and then live however you want to the rest of the week. Friend, when you come to Jesus, you leave everything else behind. You don't keep living how you want to. And this morning, there's so many people here in the South that are so bitter and mean. You know why? Because something happened to them in their life that was not fair. Not fair. But the Bible teaches that when, when a non-believer, when something happens in their life that's unfair, and they, they become, begin to be so bitter about it that the enemy sets up shop in their heart. The Bible calls it a foothold. It gives the enemy a foothold. And someone can actually become possessed, not even realizing it, because they're so bitter about whatever happened in their life. And this morning, if that's you, if there's so much bitterness in your heart, friend, the Lord wants to forgive you. He wants to bring you home. And He's not saying that what happened in your life is okay. But what He wants to say is that He wants to forgive you. And you need to relinquish your rights to be bitter or to be mad at someone else. Amy Carmichael, Carmichael, famous missionary to India, said, If I refuse to take the second place or the twentieth without making a fuss, I know nothing of Calvary love. And if I cannot take first place without thinking I had something to do with it, then I do not know Calvary love. There in verse 15 and 16, being justified means counted righteous, declared righteous by God, not by yourself or anything you've done. Justification comes not from our works, has nothing to do with us, but only from faith in the Lord. Galatians chapter, uh, verses 17 says, chapter 2 says that we died to the law. Paul says we're not, no longer living trying to gain merit, justification, by obeying the law. And this morning, maybe you think, yeah, John 3.16, Jesus is the way. But do we live like that? Do we live like we're already, the Lord's already pleased with us? Or are we constantly trying to do good things, do good works? for God to be happy with us. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Paul says, I've been crucified. You know what that word crucified means? To be hung on a cross. That's what being a Christian looks like. Being hung on a cross. Being crucified. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Your baptism. You went in the water and came up. That's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of, of dying with Christ. Coming back to life. Here it is in Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live. Right? When you go in the water, the old you is gone away. Done. But the new you is on the rise. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, But Christ. But Christ lives in me. And the life, my life, everything that I do and breathe, everything that that I, every, every day, everything in this body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the Gospel. And then verse 21, 
Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So if we can be saved through the law, through going to such and such Baptist church, then Jesus died for nothing. Do you think that the Son of God would be crucified just because? No way, Jose. Jesus died to save us, to, to set us free. He came to get us. And the Lord this morning called everyone here to give up our rights, to let the Lord take over our life, to let the Lord decide our future. Jesus gave up His rights, did He not? He gave up all power when He went to the cross. He prayed in the garden, not my will be done, but your, your will. Coming into the Christmas season, there's no better example of giving up your rights than Mary, mother of Jesus. Think about Mary. She was a teenage girl that loved the Lord. She would have been baking her cake for the for student camp. And this angel appeared to her and said, hey, you're, you're going to become pregnant. Uh, hello, I'm not married. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to marry Joseph. Oh, by the way, that baby's going to be the son of God. Uh, Lord, this is a bad idea. I cannot do this. But what did Mary say? She pondered these things and she didn't argue with the angel. But what's my mom going to think? What's my Sunday school teacher going to think? What's my youth pastor going to think? What did Mary do? She surrendered. She gave up all of her rights. She thought, Joseph, the man that I love, the man that I care about, our relationship is about to go in the tank. She said, Lord, if this is you, whatever happens, I'm yours. Let's do this. She gave up her rights. She gave up her reputation. This is what biblical Christianity is. Laying your reputation on the altar. Laying your family on the altar. Laying your career on the altar. And leaving it all in the Lord's hands. Cultural, cultural Christianity in America is dying. And then, when I say cultural Christianity, I'm talking about the idea that we can all have Jesus and then also do whatever we want with our life. And that's not the gospel. And frankly, I'm thankful that it's dying. And biblical Christianity in this country is on the rise. Cultural Christianity says, I have a right to pray. Biblical Christianity says, I'm going to pray whether they take my rights away or not. I was at a South Panola football game about nine years ago. And some hotshot lawyer came over and said, hey, we're going to sue you if you guys keep praying. Uh, they had the guy in the press box, Walter, he would always pray before the games. Or they'd get a local pastor, a student pastor, or someone to pray. So these lawyers came over and said, they see LU and said, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to sue you if you don't stop doing this. And wrote this fancy letter and tried to intimidate them. And so superintendent said, hey, y'all can't pray no more. Well, it actually was a good thing because the students started praying every, every time on their own in the crowd. And, and soon it just took over the stadium. And you had 11,000 people saying the Lord's Prayer. Much more powerful 
than one person voicing a prayer. You see, the Lord has the enemy right where He wants him. God's not afraid of any lawyer or politician or any, any professor. The Lord, He's in charge. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. Cultural Christianity walks around with a scowl on, on, on a face saying, I have a right to say Merry Christmas. Biblical Christianity walks around with a smile saying, Merry Christmas. There's a difference. Cultural Christians raise their children to love Jesus, to go to church, but don't take it too serious. Okay? Love God, but until but if your child starts to make a career decision based on their faith, oh, they've taken it too far. Biblical Christians raise their children to obey the call of God on their life, no matter how much they get paid or where He calls us to go. Cultural Christians... Identity is based on what they do for God. Biblical Christians' identity is based on what God has done for them. There's a difference. So this morning, the Lord's in the house. And what He desires is for every person here to be set free. And to walk in that freedom. And to rest knowing that you're justified based on what Jesus did for all eternity. Embrace the gospel. That's what the Lord's calling us to do. Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India I talked about earlier, she didn't take a furlough for 55 years. 55 years. She wrote a poem. It says, it's titled, Inceptance, Lieth Peace. In acceptance, lieth peace. Oh, my heart, be still. Let thy restless worries cease and accept His will. Though this test be not thy choice, it is His, therefore rejoice. In His plan there cannot be aught to make thee sad. If this is His choice for thee, take it and be glad. Make from it some lovely thing to the glory of thy King. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and you need to relinquish your rights. Ladies, maybe your husband has made you so mad you want to kill him. And this morning, the Lord wants you to come to the altar and give up your rights. The gospel's not fair, is it? Is it fair that Jesus was hung on the cross for you and for me when He didn't do anything to deserve it? This altar is open this morning. Maybe, sir, your job, things are not fair. Maybe, maybe things are not fair that, you know, such and such, this is happening for them, and they didn't even do what was right. They didn't even follow the rules. But it seems like they're being blessed. Friend, let me tell you, God sees you where you're at. And He's more concerned about working on you in molding you into the image of His Son than He is whether you get what you deserve. When you come to Christ, you have to relinquish all rights, all the things that you think you deserve, and trust the Lord. How will you respond today? Let's pray.